13 of Rainbow Pridecast. I'm your host, Danielle Dupuy, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. My co-host for this episode is Uma Ribeiro, soon to be junior at Hammond High School. Hi, I'm Uma, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Uh, today we're joined by Kirsten Coons, member of the HCPSS Board of Education. Thanks for joining us, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. Hope you're doing well. Yes, we are. Um, now, you've been serving on the Board of Education for four years almost now. Yeah, just about. I was elected in 2016. So what what made you want to run and serve on the Board of Education? Well, I was concerned about some decisions on the financial side. My background is as an accountant, and I had gotten involved in my daughter's school. She went to Running Brook, and I was a volunteer there, and I saw how important instructional assistants, we call them paraeducators, are to the team. Uh, And there were some budget cuts that reduced the number of paraeducators in our elementary schools. And Running Brook is a, uh, it is a somewhat high poverty school. And half of the children that are entering have not had a high quality daycare experience, preschool experience. And so when I would volunteer in the kindergarten class and in first grade, there were, uh, there were a lot of, there was a wide range of abilities. And I saw how important the breakouts that were able to happen because there were enough instructional assistants in the classroom to facilitate small groups, how important that was to provide differentiated learning. So mm-hmm. when the budget cuts were made, I really began to look at the budget and see that there seemed to be some decisions that were not necessarily being made with our um, with the best ideas uh, and I thought were hurting some of our, our high need schools. Wow. So um, being a parent and kind of seeing that firsthand inspired you to step forward, I'm guessing. So I got involved in advocating for the budget with the, uh, with HCEA, the, the educators association here in Howard County and was doing some advocacy at the County council level and at the time, I had also started to serve on the Howard, on the Columbia Town Center Village Board because I live in Columbia and was getting sort of civically active. My daughter had gone to school and uh, I began to get interested in politics. And then I found that education was something where uh, my passion really lay. And I felt that I could bring my financial background to being able to read a budget pretty well and understand the numbers. I think the, I think the, the Board of Education should be represented by a diverse group of backgrounds, educators, mm-hmm. business people, financial people. Uh, I think that that diversity of thought brings a lot to um, to the table because we're a seven member uh, board of adults. There are some things that uh, the student member can vote on as well. But in terms of uh, the budget, um, I really wanted to make sure that our educators had what they needed in their classrooms so that they didn't have to worry about what was going on in the, you know, the so-called bureaucracy, the central office of, of the system so that our teachers could be focused on our students and not have to worry about the politics or what, what they were saying that they could just 
focus on their on carrying out the mission of educating our children and being able to spend time with them. And um, I saw that our educators were having to fight a lot of fights and have to do a lot of bureaucratic time consuming tasks. And uh, I didn't necessarily see the purpose in all of those things. And, um, you know, I really want to fight for our educators because you do, you are the reason uh, I'm, I'm here. You know, we all look to our pasts when we had someone that was a great teacher and inspired us. And I, I want every Howard County student to have that kind of experience with a Howard County educator. And I admire you all so much. And, uh, you know, as I said in my, my Rainbow Conference introductory remarks, uh, you know, the Rainbow Conference was an example of the great things that our educators can take the initiative to, to do and to the degree that we can make sure that you can serve your students that way and not have to worry about budgets and, uh, you know, battles at the, at the central office. I think that's incumbent upon us to, to facilitate. And yeah, we appreciate that. <laughs> um, there's a lot to, uh, to manage and uh, juggle for sure. Um, now you, uh, you know, you had mentioned, um, you know, the diversity of coming from different backgrounds to kind of support each other, and I think that's good for collaboration and kind of solving problems and things like that. Um, what is it? Do you wish that, you know, that other people, people in general, knew about the work that you and other members of the board of education do, kind of like on the daily? Because it seems like you go to a lot of meetings. <laughs> yeah, there's, there is a lot of it. And we all kind of have, you know, something different that we bring to the table. I'm, I'm interested in the legislative side of things where we work with the state and with the county on different legislation. For instance, um, the, there was a tax that was voted on yesterday. There were two taxes voted on yesterday by the county council. One was passed and one was not. And they both affect our school budget. And, you know, one of the things that I do, and I'm the chair of the legislative committee for the, for the Board of Education, uh, is work with elected officials and advocate on behalf of the school system. And, you know, so that, that involves going to Ellicott City a lot and, you know, testifying at county council meetings, going to Annapolis to talk to our, uh, to our legislators there. Uh, one of the things that we managed to get through was uh, dealing with the superintendents in the state of Maryland. Uh, a lot of people thought that the individual county system, the county board, could uh, hire and terminate a superintendent. That's not actually true. Um, but now we have facilitated um, more, more, uh, more of the ability to for the local system to deal with a superintendent issue and be able to terminate them within some limits um, if, the, if there's a problem. And so that's one of the things that our board advocated for in Annapolis and, and got passed. So there's, there's lots of meetings that sometimes might not appear to be about things that we would care about, uh, you know, county zoning, but it does sometimes impact us. And we need to make sure that we have a voice and that our our opinions are heard and that we we let people know how this decision is going to impact 
the, the county. Um, one of the things that I heard on the campaign trail a lot was, I don't have kids in the system, or my kids are grown, or, and I, I always tried to come back to, you know, the, the idea of America is, you know, in terms of our democracy is the public education system and the ability to obtain a free education that is a civil right in this country and it makes us better citizens and um, we all benefit from that. It doesn't matter if you, you know, don't have never had children or um, we all benefit from a strong public school system to, to be our future nurses and doctors and the engineers that are gonna come up with um, technology that's gonna save our lives. It's, it's incumbent upon all of us to, to care about that system. So that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes frustrates me when I, when I talk to people, I don't have kids. Oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you really should care. Yeah, I definitely agree, you know, from like a student perspective that, you know, regardless of the fact, it, like if you're in schools or not, it still can, it still affects you. Definitely. Now, you had mentioned before that, you know, you have a background in finance. Um, yep. And with yes. all of the, the meetings and what have you that you guys go to, is that is it is it possible to have to have a day job while you're serving as a board of education member? I decided that I did not want to. Uh, we have a lot of meetings um, that the public might not be, even be aware of. Uh, for instance, um, you know, this is summertime, so we're probably going to be getting appeals from parents on children who are too young to go to kindergarten in the fall, but they want to be um, they want to be admitted. Uh, under a certain set, set of circumstances. And so we have appeals where we need to read and prepare for these these appeal meetings that we have. And uh, they're time consuming. Um, we kind of sit as a quasi judicial body in that way. And uh, I felt that for one thing, when I when I ran for the board, I started going to all the meetings because I wanted to demonstrate to my family what this position would actually look like and how time consuming it would be. So I, I wanted to sort of do it before I had the job. And uh, I decided that I didn't want to work. I had been doing consulting um, on the side and I decided it was just, I didn't want to lose my focus on the board of education. So it's just a lot easier if I can, you know, tell Kathleen Hanks, our, our wonderful administrator, whenever you need me to be at a meeting, I can be there. And uh, it's a lot easier for her to, to schedule. And it's not a full-time job most of the year. It is um, like during redistricting, it was uh, during the budget season, it is so, and it does not pay very much. So it is unfortunate that it is not necessarily accessible to, for a lot of people to run for this kind of job. But mm -hmm. I, I just knew for me, I wanted to be able to go to any meetings that came up and not have to worry about dealing with uh, an employer. You know, dealing with an employer when you have a child is already enough of a pain. And I had experienced that when my daughter was young and trying to deal with it. You know, if I was an elected official, I just didn't feel like it was worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a lot of uh, finagling, especially since the hours are kind of weird too, depending on the meetings and um, 
some of those budget work sessions can go pretty <laughs> into the night. Right. And there's also the preparation to do mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, you have to, you have to prepare, you have to read documents and you need to um, try to ask questions in, in advance so that staff is, is ready to discuss the items. And mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of pre-reading that goes into, you know, we get our board packets on usually the Friday before a board meeting and it takes a couple hours to go through them and then figure out what your questions are and communicate back and forth and, um, so it's not just the meeting times. Can anyone propose changes to school policy? Um, let's see. Yes. Um, what we what happens is we direct the superintendent to make a change, or we find out about something. For instance, when the Trump administration started making. Uh, immigration enforcement an issue, we we directed staff to come up with policies regarding foreign-born students and how, how we would um, comply or how we would handle immigration requests. And there's some, there's some case law on the books. There's um, the notable one is Plyler versus Doe. Um, and that we have to provide an education regardless of immigration status to any child that that overall that governs overall what our policy is. But we wanted to have a stronger stance on immigration policy to provide a little bit of little bit of extra comfort to our families. So we can we can request policies that, you know, maybe our community has, you know, put in our ear as far as what they want. Um, and so there, there can also be requirements of the, of the law, like the concussion policy, for instance, with athletics, you know, that some of that is driven by there being more state regulations that require us to include those stipulations in our policies. So policy can really be, uh, you know, um, initiated by by anyone. Now, if you're asking about curriculum, that's a little harder. Now, I know we have some things in, in place, like some guidelines for supporting like transgender students. Right. Um, and like bathroom use and what have you. Like how right. long did something like that take to put into place for policy? Well, that actually was partially state driven as well. So the Maryland State Department of Education also provided that. So I think that probably took uh, maybe about a year. The yeah. Howard County tries to make sure that we gather input from a multitude of stakeholders and that there is a process that is followed to make sure that there are many levels of review. So, and then then there was kind of further guidance that expanded on that, that Dr. Gilbert released. I'm kind of losing track of time now, if it was two years ago, yeah, um, that, that might be uh, developed in a little bit uh, faster fashion. Like the policy itself is, you know, sits kind of at not a kind of at a, a 10,000 feet level. And then 
the implementation procedures and the guidance and the circulars that you might see being an HGPSS employee, those might be a little faster turnaround and because they don't, they don't require board approval per se, we might have input, but once the policy is set, it's then the superintendent's responsibility and basically job to implement and make sure that those procedures are being uh, followed and you know here are the ways to to do that and it's a little more prescriptive uh, at that level so that can happen a little bit quicker uh, than having to go through with a policy you have to go through public hearings and and reports periodically and uh, large community meetings whereas the uh, guidance and circulars might be a little more interpretive our neighbors in Montgomery County are introducing an LGBTQ plus elective course into their curriculum. Are there plans to incorporate a more LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum in Howard County Public Schools? I There aren't any formal plans. In general, we've been trying to diversify our curriculum so that more students see themselves in, in the curriculum. And I know that uh, some schools are very supportive of making sure that there are materials and uh, available in media centers. and But I don't think that Howard County has gone far enough to represent the LGBT community. And uh, there, I'll just tell you as like, as a candidate, there have been questionnaires that ask about whether uh, you would be comfortable and, you know, whether a, um, you know, at what age should something be introduced? And candidate responses were sort of all over the board. My personal stance is that, you know, everything should be age appropriate, whether it's regarding heterosexual or LGBT issues. Um, everything, every text should be gauged for age appropriateness. And um, there are, um, you know, I have you know, I'm dealing with two young children now and, you know, how I talk about it with them is different than how I might deal with my 16 year old. Um, you know, you, you speak in different ways about lots of different issues, um, depending on what age child is. So I don't think that Howard County has done enough. And I, uh, want to encourage more, you know, as we go through our, like the text choices that are given to English language arts teachers every year that mm -hmm. those should be incorporated in there. And for some of those students out there that are listening or community members that kind of wanted to, um, you know, see about this maybe happening as like an LGBTQ plus electives course, such as they've done in Montgomery County, what would be like a process that they would start with in order to kind of make that happen? Um, if a student wanted to do it, I would encourage them to, um, to reach out to students in Montgomery County uh, because what would be great is if this was, um, you know, a lot of our, our courses are based on what students demand, you know, whether or not we offer, uh, you know, Latin three at some place is somewhat dependent on whether or not their mm -hmm. student demand. So I would like to see, um, you know, some students reach out to their MCPS um, cohorts um, 
And, you know, I'm going to try to reach out after the Rainbow Conference. I think uh, there was a Montgomery County teacher in there, and I want to get in touch with her and find out um, what she knows about the curriculum addition. And because we do have a lot of room uh, in Howard County's graduation requirements in terms of, um, you know, having room for electives for students, mm -hmm. and this one would make uh, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, you know, you, you brought up the Rainbow Conference a couple times, and uh, thank you for uh, delivering our opening remarks for the conference. Of course. Um, did you, you uh, mentioned that you attended some of the conference sessions. Um, what were your thoughts on the conference? I thought it was great. Uh, you did a wonderful job at having a very diverse offering of topics. I went to a uh, question, persuade, refer discussion in regard to suicide prevention and um, addressing issues and how to, how to speak to uh, someone that you think might be contemplating suicide or self-harm. Uh, I went to a really good talk by a teacher from another county on non-binary students and staff, and I learned a lot from that. Um, they were very forthcoming with their experience. I was curious how they had been accepted by uh, their by their own staff and their parents and what the the reaction had been to their decision you know on their choice of pronouns um, you know for so that was that was really interesting and uh, and heartbreaking to some degree as as they shared that some parents had asked for their child to be moved from their class Mm -hmm. So to understand what kind of obstacles they are going through in their daily life, uh, I, I just felt like there was a good range of topics that appealed to students, parents, adults, staff, non-staff of HCPSS. So it, it really covered a lot of interests. So there was opportunity for people to get whatever they wanted out of it. I really enjoyed the, the first speaker that I listened to, Kevin Nath, who is an editor at the Washington Blade. I reached out to him afterward, and uh, I think it's great that he's a Hammond High grad, and his, his stories of what it was like for him in, in his evolution to becoming an editor at the blade and you know the professional difficulties that he encountered throughout his his adult life and the barriers that he that he found uh, were really meaningful and I think you know finding that success in his life and and using it to you know to make demands for instance of Governor O'Malley in terms of of marriage and those were, those were really interesting uh, discussion topics. So I just felt like it answered lots of needs. And so that, that was a really great offering that you were able to present. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun day. Um, so I think uh, definitely again next year then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and it was, it was just 
great to see all the discussion that was going on in the chat, the questions that were being asked and the connections that people were able to make with each other and get advice and the students as well, the questions that they were asking. So I really feel like you served a, a real cross section of, of needs. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Um, now, you know, talking a little bit about the Rainbow Conference and uh, LGBTQ plus, um, you know, the community, um, you know, last year you, you kind of ended up coming out of the closet. Um, yes. Before, like, what what is, I mean, like, you know, I know what it's like to come out of the closet, but I've not been a public figure. What was it like being a public figure and coming out of the closet? Like, were you accepted by your peers, your family? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it was, it was difficult. Um, and I know that living in Howard County, uh, it was probably much easier, um, to, to come out here than it might've been elsewhere in Maryland or much, you know, much less the rest of the country. I reached out to Byron McFarland, who is our register of wills. And, uh, he is also, he is also gay and has been out, um, way before he was elected and asked him for advice and we i mean we were already friends but you know i reached out to him and you know talked to him about how it would be and for the most part i felt like everyone has been very supportive um you know there are definitely hiccups along the way because this is this is messy and i have a child and um you know but in, in the bubble of Howard County, I am extremely lucky to have been uh, more accepted than probably anywhere else. And I probably, um, you know, I've gotten a lot less flack about being a lesbian than I have about redistricting decisions. So that's Howard County for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would you, would you, looking back, would you do anything differently? Um <sighs> No, I think I, I went about it okay in terms of, you know, I told people and tried to be, um, you know, just kind of factual and, you know, I'm, you know, unfortunately I'm at the age where there are a lot of people my age that are, you know, maybe getting divorced or, you know, going through other life changes. And so it's, it's not uncommon for, for things to go this way somehow. Um, and I was, it was difficult a little bit with my family. It was surprising. And, but I knew the way that I felt for the first time in my life, um, that I had, I might, I must've had a question because I found the answer and, um, that, that that feels really good and to be true to myself and again i think i'm very lucky to live where i live because uh you know we we went to the first pride um celebration last year in centennial park and uh it was you know some some of our family members were like do you think that's safe do you think you know anybody's going to protest and i'm like no this is howard county and you know, that might sound naive or Pollyannish, but it's, it is in general an accepting place. So, and I, I looked to, you know, some of my friends that were 
already out uh, and, you know, got advice from them and, and, you know, tried to take it one day at a time. What advice would you give to students who want to voice their concerns to the board? How can students enact change through the board? Documentation is the most important thing in terms of, in terms of anybody. You need to, to record your grievances, whether you're a staff member or a student, and you know somehow go on the record and find somebody in your building that you trust. And you know if that's you, Ms. Dupuy, great. And by offering a safe space to somebody to talk about it, and make sure you fill out the forms and make sure you follow up on where did that form go. Make sure that there is a follow-up on that form to, to deal with the problem, to find out, um, you know, if it was, if it was looked at. Because a lot of times you just want to know that somebody knows the struggle that you're going through. And whether that's, you know, something personal or something that an individual is putting on you. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's not going to be a resolution that you can be aware of. And because there are privacy issues that, you know, we can't disclose student names and we can't disclose what might happen to a staff member. Uh, and, you know, that can be really unfulfilling to not know exactly what happened. And I know that that's frustrating, but you know, you have to hope and keep, keep documenting, keep submitting that information um, to, to someone at school, you know, find that right staff person who can help you. And always send stuff to the Board of Education at BOE at HTPSS.org because uh, that's read by all of us. And it is the best way to alert us of a concern. And then we can kind of follow it from from the top down you know try to work on it from the down up as well but alert us you know if it's not going anywhere so that we can get follow up for for resolution it's mm -hmm. good good plan um i kind of skipped a little bit ahead um so i want to go back for a second um have you been able, have you advocated for the LGBTQ plus community through your position as a board of education member? I'd like to think so. Um, I have always been in support of the Pride Month proclamation, um, supportive of our educators that are, um, that are LGBTQIA plus and, um, and I kind of got into that through PFLAG um, by meeting some, some people, some teachers in the system um, and being, being an ally as well before I myself came out. So these, these things are, are important to me uh, and making sure that, um, that clubs at, at schools, for instance, like um, sagas or GSAs, are, are allowed and, um, you know, fighting, fighting for students, um, you know, hiring Dr. Gilbert to, um, you know, to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. 
to have a little bit stronger stance, um, for instance, on the, you know, the bathroom usage and the athletics participation, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's something that, you know, I've ad advocated for and, and wanted to see. So if reelected, what would you, would you do anything differently in your position? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I'll continue to be a voice of reason and pragmatism, recognition that sometimes there are wants and there are needs, and sometimes in tough budget situations like we're in now, some things might be wants, and we need to, to be a system that serves 59,000 students. Uh, I do want to see more recognition of LGBT curriculum and, you know, the offering of a class I think would be great for high schoolers. And, uh, I want to continue to, to work with everybody. I think that's a, a difference with me. I'm very collaborative. Uh, I try to listen to both sides. Sometimes that can frustrate people. Uh, but I really try to listen before I make a, a decision. I have, I have my preconceived notions that I go into things with, but I'm open to to listening and being, um, and to hearing an argument to determine what to determine um, how I should vote. And um, you know, I love being on the board. I think Howard County is a special place. And I want to continue to advocate for Howard County to be a strong system. And I also want people to recognize that, uh, that this is a very diverse community. And um, what people didn't realize, I think, last year during redistricting was that there are many pockets of poverty in this county. And um, we need to recognize the privilege that we have and um, try to make sure that we are assisting, especially our littlest children, um, our littlest students, that they get the opportunities to succeed and that we try to tear down the barriers that prevent them from succeeding in our system and, and working more on um, the, the biases that we all have and uh, working more on restorative practices uh, it's really dis distressing to see the, the reports on discipline and the dispropor disproportionality of discipline, especially with our uh, African-American African males receiving special education services. Um, so that's of grave concern to me. And I think a lot of that um, would, would be helped by, um, you know, some more special education training for general educators and, um, you know, so those are, those are sort of my hot button things that I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. I think those are all good things to think about, <laughs> um, you know, and you brought up a, a good point about kind of like misconceptions or misunderstanding about Howard County in general, because I think when people think Howard County, they think, Oh, it's a rich County, mm -hmm. um, you know, which in some ways, yes. Um, but just to kind of give an example, I, you know, I'm slightly off topic, but, my family and I shop at the Costco, you know, all the mm -hmm. time. And, um, you know, we uh, typically go to a Costco, not in Howard County. Um, you know, like our neighbor, our old neighborhood, uh, Glen Burnie Costco. And we just love the people there. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there was on one occasion where 
I had been to the Costco the weekend before and I had seen a couple things that I was thinking about purchasing. You know, we didn't necessarily need them, but I was, you know, had it in the back of my mind. It was like a frying pan and something else. <laughs> and um, after work, I stopped off at the Costco in Howard County before going home. And, you know, I grabbed uh, some apples or whatever and noticed that the the frying pan was there and it was like $3 more. And hmm. I saw something as I was checking out. I was like, hey, you know, why is it that I just went to the Costco and Glen Burnie and, you know, the frying pan was like $12 there and here it's like 15 And she was like, oh, well, they do that. They The prices are higher here. Um, they decide on, you know, the different locations, like which places um, they can jack the prices up. And I was like, that's really messed up because I said there's a lot of people in Howard County that, you know, that could benefit from having the cheaper prices, you know, like actually that live right outside of that Costco. That's a very exactly. high poverty area. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, I just don't understand the whole, I, I don't know. I oh, wish these, that we, these are rich people. So let's take advantage of them. Well, yes. I mean, in some ways, yes to that, but also, you know, how do you just look at a map and decide who can afford what, mm-hmm. you know, that's fascinating. Um, it's it it is fascinating. It's very interesting, and I'd be curious to know: Are you lowering the price in Glen Burnie because you think that people can't afford more, um, and you think that it's okay to jack up the price in different areas because you think they can afford more, or are you you know are you giving people a break? Is it a kindness, or is it you know a money making thing? I'm gonna you know make more off of these people. I don't know. Well, uh, I've, I've had a similar about. experience um, or thought about that in terms of the CVS that opened up um, maybe a year or two ago, uh, right by Wild Lake High School. And the phone chargers mm-hmm. are, uh, they're on a rack where a manager or a store employee needs to come and unlock it for you to look at it or mm-hmm. to purchase it. But if you go to the one, to the CBS and Maple Lawn, there, you can just take them off the, the rack. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's like a CVS wide thing or if it's, I'm the manager of the store and this is what I choose to put into practice at my location. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, but it is, it, it is quite interesting. Um, and it does give you just kind of like that feeling of unease of mistrust. Mm-hmm. Like you don't think it's because the CVS in Maple Lawn is right by Reservoir High School. Mm-hmm. And yes. the one in Wild Lake is, you know, whenever I go there after school ends, there are a ton of Wild Lake kids there. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I find it very interesting that the one by Reservoir is not locked down. Hmm. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. See, you got a, a part-time investigator job. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> to the bottom of all this yeah Um, thanks (laughs) everything equitable after you make the school system equitable make everything equitable in Howard County Um, what do you hope for the future of LGBTQ plus staff and students in Howard County public schools for everyone to be who they are and authentic and accepted and not frightened um you know I think that probably is the biggest thing for our children, um, it probably is as well for staff from a professional standpoint and a, a fear of parental backlash and, and coworker backlash. Um, but that's, 
That's what I want because I, I have not felt that fear. And I know that that is a privilege that comes to me because I'm, you know, later in life, uh, you know, I'm more established. I don't have to worry about my parents kicking me out if they find out. So, you know, there's more security and that's what I wish for our students that are wrestling with whether they should tell their friends and whether they can be themselves authentically in the classroom and with their teachers and to not feel the fear of being ostracized or judged that love is love is love. So that would be my, my hope for Howard County schools, the state of Maryland, the world where Mm -hmm. this is not something where we have to live in fear uh, every day about choosing what to do. Someone attacked me on a, um, on, on my webpage, on my Facebook page about, you know, well, why, why can't we have a hetero pride day? And I said, pretty much every day is hetero pride day. Yeah. You know, you never have to worry about kissing the opposite sex in, in public. Um, that's not a freedom that we all have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I appreciate your time today and, um, thank you for you and the other members of the board and all your tireless work. Um, cause I know it's a lot and, uh, we appreciate it and, um, we look forward to hearing more from you. Well, thank you. And thank you for all of your efforts with the rainbow conference and everything that you do every day. Cause I think our media specialists are, are unsung heroes in, in all of our buildings. And I know how hard you're working for the staff and assisting your, your colleagues every day as we navigate this new normal and, and deal with the uncertainty of what's going to be happening in the fall. So um, I appreciate you and what you do for your students and, um, you know, Uma, I hope to see you again in person at a board meeting where you can uh, testify on something that you would, that you're, that is of interest to you. And, um, you know, and please be in contact with me and with my fellow board members on issues that you have. And, uh, you know, we'll try to deal with them and, um, you know, continue to advocate for yourself and for your friends. Music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McCoy.